0: And now it's time for our scripture reading, for our cover-to-cover series. From the New Testament, we have Hebrews 1, through 1-4, and chapter 2, 5-12. through In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much as superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, But there's a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Now the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And our gospel reading is from Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery.
1: Thank you, Luke. And ask you to get your Bibles out and your sermon notes. Uh, sermon notes are available on the back of your bulletin. It's blank. There's a pen in front of you, and you can write down anything the Lord speaks to. I'll have some things on the uh, screen that you can write down as well. Inside your bulletin are all the scriptures for this week, along with the questions and the memory work, so it's all there uh, for you as we hide God's Word in our heart as we Uh, Draw near to him and just have his word alive inside of us. We heard some challenging words from our gospel reading today. Relationships are complicated. In fact, on Facebook, that's actually one of the things you can choose to describe your relationship. You can be single, married, divorced, or you can just say it's complicated. It's interesting because it's complicated doesn't come up in any other part of your description on Facebook. You don't say with your job it's complicated or what school you go to it's complicated. It's just with relationships it's complicated because relationships really are complicated. I mean, we all want good relationships, right? We we want that, but the reality is is that relationships are difficult. And many times, we're not prepared for what relationships will require of us. We're not prepared for the sacrifices. We're not prepared for the compromises. We're not prepared to give someone else unconditional love. We're not ready to invest all that it takes to make a relationship work because we live in a culture where everything is fast and it's easy. And and if it's not working, just throw it away. We'll get a new one scared to fall in love. We're scared to commit because it feels so permanent because we're scared to fail. We're scared that we're gonna get hurt. We're afraid that we're gonna get our hearts broken because relationships are hard and they're difficult. Relationships have always been difficult though. From the beginning of time, it's not something new For you and I and the world in which we live, it was complicated in Jesus' time. In fact, in our reading today, when it comes to marriage, Jesus was asked a couple of questions about marriage, first from the Pharisees and from the disciples. And did you realize that the Pharisees asked more questions about marriage than anything else? What does that tell you? It tells you that relationships are complicated. And they're complicated today. I think they're complicated because they're so powerful, especially the marriage relationship and, and our family relationships, right? They're so powerful because they have the highest highs and the lowest lows. And, and, and there's so much that happens, and they're sacred because God ordained marriage. He ordained for us to be a part of a family He ordained us to be a part of his family, to be a part of his church, and it's powerful, So when asked about marriage, what does Jesus do? And I love what Jesus does here, because what he does is he's not interested in answering all their questions about marriage, because marriage is very complicated, and and that subject of divorce is so complicated. You know what he does is he goes back to the original intention God had for marriage. He skips all the controversy and all the discussion that could be, and he goes, let's go back to the very beginning, and, and I love that. Because we're broken, and we live in a broken world, and, and, and things aren't perfect, and, and that's what I loved about reading from the book of Hebrews, because it, it told, tells us that Jesus entered into our broken world to save us. And so Jesus talks about the original intention of marriage. So what is that? What does the Bible say? I love what Jesus does here. He actually goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. He goes back to the very first part of the story story in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. He said, Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's that's what God designed marriage to be. That the two would become one. That two separate people would become one. That's something that is echoed throughout the Old Testament in the New Testament not just from Jesus, but also from the apostles, and the apostle Paul, when he teaches on marriage, that the two become one, and that sounds great, doesn't it? Two become one. It sounds beautiful, but we know that that's a process, right? We know that it doesn't just happen. You're, you're bringing two imperfect people together. Luke read our passage today, and Luke and Hannah will be getting married next June, and, and And while you're excited and it's like, yeah, we're going to be together forever, there's a process for two becoming one because you're actually, in any case, bringing two broken people together. And that process isn't easy. It will take a lifetime, but it is part of God's plan. There is no such thing as love at first sight. There is no such thing as something happening overnight. It doesn't magically happen when we say, I do, okay, I do, and now the two become one. No matter how many Hallmark movies you watch, it doesn't happen that fast. It takes time. The two doesn't become one immediately, or in one year, or five years, or 10 years, or in our case, 25 years. It doesn't happen that way. And in fact, the enemy is counting on you misunderstanding this. He's counting on you being impatient. He wants you to get disillusioned. He wants you to to look for a way out. And that's why you have to fight for your marriage. That's how you have to fight for the two to become one. Because on our wedding days, we stand before God and this company of witnesses to make vows and exchange Rings, the ring being a symbol of the vow that we make. And we're saying in front of God and everybody that we will be together forever. We will live in this community of two, this exclusive lifelong community together, to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And we say those words, and when we mean them when we say them, but that's when the process actually begins. And we don't just want a ring, we want the real thing. You don't want to just get a ring, you want the real thing. And the devil will try to convince you as early and as often as possible that you married the wrong person. That's what the devil is going to try to do, that there's someone or something better out there that you're missing and it would just be easier just to to start over fresh and new. Leslie and I were and are to this day complete opposites in every (laughs) single way. Every assessment we've ever taken from the very beginning on has shown that we are opposites. She is quiet and I am loud. She's a saver. I'm a spender. She's organized, and uh, I'm messy. She's beautiful, and I'm not going anywhere with that. So we'll just, it's just, she's, she's beautiful, and she's so quiet and still. There's such a peace in her home. Uh, it was funny, because last week I came home, and she was sitting on the couch reading and she's so quiet and so still, and I make a grand entrance, even if no one's there. I'll just, hey, I'm here, and um, so I walk in, put my bag down, keys, start start going, and I didn't even know she's, I didn't even know she was home, and she's sitting there. She goes, hi, Daryl. and I mean, I jump out of my skin, and I'm like, woman, wear a bell or something. I got, I got, I got to know that you're there. That's a funny story but I could tell you a lot of stories that aren't funny. A lot of stories that are painful because in real life, there's real problems. And when there's two different people, you think about life in a very different way and you do life in a very different way. And there was a lot of hurt at the beginning of our marriage. And instead of choosing just to survive, like, okay, well, well, I guess we just have to get along for the rest of our life. We, we wanted our marriage to thrive, and so very early on, um, we went to counseling to get help. Because sometimes you need help. Especially when you are so different, or there are big problems, whatever, you need to go, and it's, it's okay to go. And I was the one that fought that for a long time, and I'm, I'm sorry that I did. That was pride in my heart. But when you need help, you got to ask for help. So I encourage you, if you're going through a hard time, and in your relationship or with your family, go ahead, go get some help. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's the other thing that Leslie and I have chosen to do uh, even before we got married and throughout our marriage is that we will live according to God's word. That if God says it in his word, that's, that's the end of the story. There's no more discussion about it. That's, that's what we're going to believe. That's what going to pattern our life after. We're going to follow God. We're going to believe God. We're going to do that not just for our marriage but for our family. And so if it's God's way, that's the way that we do it. And I want to tell you that in the 25 years that we've been married, um, that if we had not chosen to follow God, if we had not chosen to get help, if we would not have chosen to follow God's word, uh, that Leslie and I wouldn't be married today. That if we didn't have God in our life, that we would not be married today. And she's sitting over there shaking her head because that's (laughs) the truth. So there's a way that leads to life and a way that leads to death. Your way will lead to death. His way leads to life. He talks about it in Proverbs over and over again. There seems a way that's right to a man, but it doesn't work out. And so it's not about doing things your way. It's about doing things his way because our way is selfish. Our way is sinful. And sin is what messed this thing up from the beginning because God's original intention what was it? The two become one. And not just in marriage, but in our relationship with him. That's the other thing we're talking about here, is because he designed you to live with him, to walk with him, to be with him, to have this relationship with him, the two becoming one. He wanted that, but it was sin that separated it. And that's true of our marriages, that the two would become one, but it's sin that entered and it damaged and it broke the world in which we live. And so I want to share with you, and I'd like you to write these down. Seven damaging sins that can destroy your oneness, that can prevent you from becoming one. These are seven sins. They, and, and we could talk about marriage, but this is any relationship. This is your relationship with God, relationship with your family, with your kids, with, with your friends. I mean, these sins will destroy any relationship. And I actually got them uh, out of Charisma Magazine. It was an article by Ron Edmondson. But, but these seven, I'm going to give them to you quickly here. Uh, the first one is selfishness. Selfishness. Marriage doesn't work without mutual submission. Now, when I use the word submission, we immediately think of what Paul writes, that, that wives submit to your husbands. But in Ephesians chapter 5, just before that, he actually says this, that we're called to submit one to another. That there's this mutual submission in marriage. It's not my way or the highway. It is, it is not selfishness, but it's this mutual submission Submission, because our marriages are not meant to be 50-50. You do half and I'll do half. That is not marriage. Ideally, marriage should be, I'm going to give 100%, you're going to give 100%. We're going to be in this all in together. Now that's ideally, it doesn't work that way. We live in a broken world. I get that, but that's where we should be aiming. And that's where we should be compromising because we need to be there for each other. We're there to build each other up, we're there to have each other's back, and it's not right for just one person to be happy in the marriage. Well, we're going to do it, we're going to do it my way, and we fight for our our way, and and we're selfish. I want to tell you, that doesn't work, no one's happy in that marriage. Both sides are miserable, so selfishness is the first one. The second one is discontent, discontent. Boredom is perhaps the number one destroyer of marriage because there are seasons in marriage. There are times where you feel so in love and it feels so good and then there's other day that you can't stand each other. And, and it's just it's this ebb and flow of emotion but the commitment that you made, the covenant that you made goes beyond emotion. It's not about how, I, how much I feel in love today, it's that I've made this vow, I've made this commitment to love, and, and so that discontent can come in and can destroy a marriage. Number three is pride. Pride. When a spouse can never admit that they're wrong, never admit their flaws, never ask for forgiveness, that will destroy a marriage. And a lot of times I, I talk to couples and, and they jokingly say, well, we're both stubborn. And that's probably true. I'm not arguing the truth of that statement, but the reality is is that you're you're saying you're both prideful. Yeah, I want my way. And and I'm going to get my way. That that pride that comes in, and and that pride will destroy the marriage. You want to know what will really destroy the marriage when it comes to pride? Is when the two of you won't get help when you need help. Because you don't want to let anybody know that something's wrong. That's real pride. And that will destroy your marriage. So don't be proud. Ask for help. Number four is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Holding on to hurts that that only damage that marriage bond. when, When one spouse or the other or both refuse to forgive the other spouse, you will destroy your marriage. And that forgiveness has to go both ways. And, 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 and there, there can be no trust in marriage without forgiveness. And there has to be grace extended in both directions because that unforgiveness actually isn't hurting the person you're not forgiving, it's hurting you. So, so unforgiveness will destroy a marriage and it will destroy you as well. Number five is anger. And I want to talk about this for just a moment, because the scripture is clear. We know, don't go to bed angry. That's what the Bible tells us. But is it a sin to be angry? And I'll say no. It's an emotion that God gave us. But how do we handle that emotion responsibly? And and, and there's a reason why the Bible says, don't go to bed angry, to deal with it, There's a reason because if we don't deal with our anger and it just goes, it it becomes bitterness and it gets rude in our life and it's bad. But but here's the real reason I believe God says don't go to bed angry is because a lot of times when you're angry, you're not really angry. That there's something much deeper going on. I'm angry because I'm hurt. You hurt me so I'm angry with you, but, but deep down, I'm really hurt, or I'm scared. There's usually something much deeper. I, I believe that's why the Bible says don't go to bed angry, so that you dig a little deeper, that you talk it out, and you get to the root of it, because if you don't get to the root of it, that anger becomes irresponsible, and it gets a root in your life, and that anger will destroy you. The next one, number six, is complacency. Complacency. As soon as you think your marriage is good, as as soon as you think, oh, we don't have any problems, or we're not as bad as them, and we're okay, or as soon as we think we've got it all together, trust me, that's when the enemy pounces. So don't get complacent. Don't, Don't say, hey, we got this, it's all good. We're okay. It's not okay to just be okay. It's not okay just to survive, you're meant to thrive, so so don't get complacent, don't let the enemy get in. Number seven is coveting, coveting. Couples who compare themselves to other couples will always be disappointed. If you compare yourself to other couples, you will always be disappointed. I think that's one of the biggest problems with Instagram and Facebook, is because we see these people and, you know, those statuses, oh, I'm married to my best friend and uh, like, yuck, you know, it's just like, oh, it's a so beautiful, and you gotta remember, everything that's put on Facebook or Instagram, that's like a highlight reel of someone's life, right? So you're comparing your, their highlight reel to your worst moment and it's like, oh my goodness, they're just, and, 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 and the reality is they're no better off than you. In fact, you know, Deep down, they may, they may want what you have. And, and it doesn't really matter who wants what. This is actually a commandment in the Ten Commandments from God. Do not covet, because coveting will disappoint you every single time. It will lead you to frustration. It, it, it puts these hopes and these dreams in your mind of something that will never, ever happen. And so we miss the moment. We miss the joy of the present. We, we miss the gift that our spouse or our family or our friends are to us. And so these sins will destroy your relationship. They'll destroy your relationship with God as well. And the two can't become one if these sins have a, a foothold. And remember, these sins were never a part of God's plan. These sins were never part of God's plan for, for our marriages or for our families or for our relationship with him. So how do we do this? How do we let the two become one in this broken, sinful world? How do we do this? And I'm going to give you one word to write down. There's one word, and that is the word love. Love. Why do we say love? Because uh, Peter tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. All that brokenness, all that is messed up, love covers it. God's love for us covers our sin and what he did on the cross for us. Remember that today. Love covers a multitude of sin And, and marriage only works and our families only work with real love. And so what is real love? We saw it in the video that we watched. I'll read it for you now. I read it every time I marry someone. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what the Bible says real love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And the King James it says, "Love never fails. Now look at that. It's on the screen. Look at it there. And this is what I teach every time I, I, I marry someone, and, and I, whether it be in counseling or in the actual ceremony, I say this, when you look at that passage of Scripture and you look what love is, love always builds up. It never tears down. Look at those words up there. The, the, the love is, is never jealous. It's never arrogant. It's never rude. It's never angry. It's never uh, selfish or resentful. Love never tears the other person down. It only builds up. It's patient. It's kind. It's loving. It it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never, ever fails. And so love builds up and it never tears down. So I'm going to give you something to do right now. This is a seven-day challenge from today till the next time we gather together for the next seven days. Here is your challenge. It'll be on the screen right here. For the next seven days with your spouse, with your family, with everyone you meet, build them up. Do not tear them down. That's your challenge for one week. Build them up, don't tear them down. This week, you have one challenge. Build your spouse up, do not tear them down. Build your children up, do not tear them down. At work, at school, wherever you find yourself, we're gonna build up and we're not going to tear down for the next seven days. When fishermen go uh, crabbing, when they're, they're fishing for crabs, they'll put out um, either traps or nets to catch the crabs. And they, when they come to, empty the nets or empty the traps, they bring with them, them a, a five gallon bucket. And so they, they start taking the crabs out of the traps, out of the, out of the nets and they start putting them in the bucket and there's no lid on the bucket because they don't need a lid when they are harvesting the crabs. Because what happens when they start putting them in the bucket, even if it starts getting higher, and they'll start crying out, crawling out. As soon as one of the crabs get their hands on the top and they're about to crawl out, all the other crabs grab them and bring them down. And then they go and try to get, they get to the top, pull them and come down. They never need a lid, no matter how high it gets, because they just keep pulling them down. That's what happens in our life all the time. Love builds up, it doesn't tear down. And I'm gonna ask you for seven days, just to have that mindset that I'm going to build my spouse up. I'm going to build my family up. I'm going to build my friends up. My, I'm going to build the people in my life up. I'm not going to tear them down. For seven days, and, and watch what happens. Now, I know there's probably already objections going off in your mind saying you don't understand. That works for Leslie because she's beautiful and quiet and pretty and all that. You know, That's good for her because you can love her, but you don't know my spouse. He won't even come to church with me, and and, and it just won't work. Listen, this is what God's Word says, and so this is what we do. So humor me and try it for one week. Just try it for one week. See what happens. For one week, just give it a try for seven days to build up and never tear down. Gary Thomas said that a good marriage isn't something you find, it's something you make. You will not find a good marriage. You have to make a good marriage. And so I'm going to ask you to make an investment in your marriage for seven days to build up and to not tear down. Because our marriages only work, our families only work, our relationships only work with real love. And when it comes to your marriage, you don't just want a ring, you want the real thing. And so build up, don't tear down. And as you do this, just remember this is God's idea. That you're not obeying me, that you're obeying him. This is his idea that, that, that he is going to be with you in the process because this was his original intention. And he says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And one of uh, Leslie's and my favorite verses when it comes to marriage is Ecclesiastes 4.12. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The idea that when we invite God into the center, into the, the primary part of our relationship, when God is there, it's just stronger. When he and his love are in my life, it's, it's just stronger. So we do it with him. We do it his way. That's what you're called to do. And as you obey God, just remember, probably my favorite verse in the Bible, Romans 8.28, that all, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He is working for good. There's already been an outcome assigned to your situation, to your life, and it is good. So just believe, just follow Him. God has life for you, abundant life. The enemy's going to try to steal, kill, and destroy. Our world is broken, but God says, I'm giving you life. I'm giving you abundant if you follow my way. I think this message is important, and I realize that not everybody here is married, and and there's there's probably other issues there, but I do want to say this, that, that I wanted to talk about this because Our relationship with God throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation, our relationship with God is likened to a marriage, that that he is the groom, that we are the bride, that he desires that same oneness that we've been talking about for men and women in marriage. And and, and that was his plan from the very beginning, that we would be with him, that, that we would be in that relationship. And we're the ones that messed up. We're the ones that walked away. But God loved us so much. He sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sin. Because our sin was what's separating us from Him. And our brokenness. And like Hebrews said, Jesus entered into our brokenness to make a way to God. And we need to be restored to that original setting. This past week, my dad was in Iowa. And, and he, uh, he got a hold of me. And he, I think it was an email. Because my phone's not working here, and I, I can't send texts, I can't get calls, I can't do anything on my phone in and, and an email. And so I emailed I him back quickly, and I said, try turning it off and back on. And so he turned it off and back on, and then it worked fine. And, and sometimes we just need a reset. And, and maybe you need to look your spouse in the eye and say, hey, we just need a reset. Let's just reset this. Let's do it God's way. Let's, let's go back to the original uh, intention of marriage, that the two become one. That's what we need to do. We need to do it. And, and maybe you need to do that today with God. Say, God, I, I just, I'm not feeling super close right now, and, and there's all these things happening, and so God, I, let's, let's turn this off and back it. Let's just reset it back to what you originally intended, and that was that I would be close to you, and you would be close to me. And sometimes we just need to do that. And I also want to say this today, that, that no matter where you find yourself, you really are never alone. It doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if you, you, you're, you're close to your family or not. You know what God did when you got saved? He said, I'm going to put you into my family. Not only, not only am I going to be the groom and you're going to be the bride, but you're going to be a part of my family. And that's the church. And that's not just a the theoretical thing. Like, oh, yeah, okay, we're like a family as a church. No, we are family. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. We, we're here together. And that's what the family of God is. And So I want you to know no matter where you sit today, you're never alone. You've got friends all around. You've got family all around. And uh, as we become one, let's become one with Him. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. As our time is slipping away today, I just, I just want to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of commitment. It's a prayer that we often pray at the end of the service. But I want to pray it today for This reason, and that is because we are called to be one with God. We are called to be in relationship with Him. And we don't want anything separating us from God. We don't want any sin separating us from God. And so we're going to turn from our sins. We're going to reset. We're going to start over fresh and new. And maybe today you're praying this prayer for the first time. Maybe you're coming back to God. Maybe you're close to God, but you just want to make this commitment. I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer and to walk with God. And so would you repeat these words after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I now invite you